Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Today we'll be in Ephesians 2.19 through 3.13. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him who you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab a seat. Wow. Quite a bit here. I remember when I was a little boy, the very first time my parents took me to a magnificent building, the building named Bush Stadium. And I remember I walked up, and back, back then it was the old Bush Stadium. They had the arches all the way around, and I walked up, and I mean, my breath was, was literally, quite literally taken away as a young uh, eight-year-old boy. I've seen this place on television. We watched the games, and I drove up, and I was just in awe. And then, and then you go inside, and you, and you see all the seats surrounding this beautiful grass field, which, which back then was AstroTurf, but I... I just remember being overwhelmed. And, and I can still even go today to the new Bush Stadium. Those of you who know me, I'm a big, big baseball fan. I love the Cardinal baseball. But even when I go to Bush Stadium today, I'm like, I still get those same feelings like when I had when I was an eight-year-old boy. Now, maybe some of you, you're, you're not into the sports scene, but you probably remember, like, when was the first time that you laid your eyes on, like, a magnificent building? I know we have a lot of travelers in here. Maybe it was like the Chicago skyline, right? You, you, you took a trip up there and it just, wow. Or maybe you, you went across the pond, right, and, and, and you got to see the Eiffel Tower or, or something like that. That Man, you've seen pictures of it. But then when you lay your eyes upon it, it's just like, wow. I'm not a very cultured guy, so I, so I, I picked baseball stadiums. I remember being in Italy uh, one time, and I was there, and I was like, 
I'm, I'm supposed to know what this building is. Um, I don't know what this building is. And I went and, and, and we were in Florence and, and I saw the, this museum and there, were, there, there was a statue of David. Like, I think this is a big time thing. Um, so I wasn't very cultured. But man, I remember the magnificent building of Bush Stadium. We're talking about a building. We've been talking about a building in our time with Ephesians. You're visiting. We've been in the book of Ephesians. And Christ Jesus himself told us in Matthew, I will build my church. And he was talking about this organic building, this organic temple. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. There's no other book in the Bible, I believe, that teaches us better what the church is than Ephesians. If Ephesians was missing from our Bible, a huge chunk of God's heart would be missing because it really explains this building. It really explains the church. And if you'll remember, I told you how Ephesians was laid out, how chapters 1 through 3 was just a lot of theology. And then 4 through 6, then we switch and get into, okay, practice. So another way to word that, chapters 1 through 3 is kind of like, okay, here's how God sees us in Christ Jesus. And then 4 through 6 is now, here's how the world should see us or see Christ Jesus in us. That's kind of how it's divided. And then last week... Paul is talking about how, man, there used to be a wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, but through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, that walls of hostility were torn down, and he actually created a new humanity, a third race, if you will. And that third race is the church. And this takes us into our passage today, which is the end of chapter 2. And you see there in the end of chapter 2, there's a ton of building language. There already has been a ton of building language through uh, this book, but there was just so much just all over these last verses of chapter 2. We see the word built, we see the word foundation, we see the word cornerstone, we see the word structure, we see the word joined, we see built again, we see dwelling place. Just in those verses, look at all the building language. Now you have to know this about Paul, he was a metaphor maniac. He wrote 13 letters. 300 metaphors in those 13 letters. He, it's just the way Paul wrote, and he wanted people to see and understand what he was trying to say. And what we have to know about the audience here, the focal point of Israel, those people who had come out of Judaism, the focal point was a temple, a building, Solomon's temple. It was magnificent. It was huge. It was near and dear to the hearts of those people. But there was another temple, the temple of Artemis. This would have been near and dear to the hearts of the people of Ephesus and even the surrounding region. A magnificent building. And in the passage that, 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 uh, uh, that Bo and Ashton read for us, there's a little phrase and it says, and Paul's talking about being able to, by grace, to, to, to share these unsearchable riches. And we don't have time to unpack that, but that's also building language. He's talking, he, he is going right to the hearts of the people of Ephesus because here's the deal that temple of Artemis. It's, it's where all of the big shots, it's all of anybody who was anybody, they kept their money and their riches in this temple. So when he's saying these unsearchable riches of grace in Jesus Christ, he's going right to the hearts of the people of Ephesus. They would have went, oh, wait a minute, there's unsearchable riches in that temple. And Paul's going, no, no. Not like there is in this new building. 
See, the people, the, the, the way I would word it is this, is let's say there was a Ephesus Elementary School, right? So in Ephesus Elementary School, they would have taught their elementary students about this temple of Artemis. And here's the thing, we'll hit it next week in the prayer, but here's the language they would have used in talking about this temple, the depth that they would have had to dig to hit a foundation, the breadth, the width, the height of this building. This language is found in writings that were being taught in this region. And Paul says he uses the same language that they would have been using in that region. It's fascinating. But Paul talks to us about a building, this organic temple that God is building with living stones. So you had a temple that, that, would, that was for the habitation of the presence of God, but now you have living stones built through what Jesus Christ did for us. And we are now the habitation of the presence of God, not just individually, but all of us together. But it started with a cornerstone. It's not just this pile of living stones. It started with the cornerstone that's mentioned here in the last part of chapter 2. This was prophesied. Isaiah says in chapter 28, verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. He is talking about Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. And then all the living stones are then built upon this tested stone, this precious and sure foundation. And we together as a church are living stones. Those of us who have passed from death to life are living stones. First Peter says as much in chapter 2, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, that's Jesus, he came unto his own, his own received him not, rejected by men, by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves this is us, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Church, people of God, we have to know this this morning. Do not let this be lost on you. We are part of something massive. A 2,000-year project, a 2,000-year building project that is not done. We are part of something massive. And Paul goes in to chapter 3, and he, he's just restating what he's already said in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He's, he's bringing a point home. He, do, he wants them to get this. So we have this mystery that we're going to learn about in chapter 3. Today we're going to talk about the, the who of the mystery. And we're going, to talk about the, we're going to talk about the what of the mystery. Next week we'll get to a third part of it, the how. But today we're going to talk about the who and the what of the mystery. In verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. We're going to come back to this verse. Just, just, just know how Paul starts that thought off. But in a lot of your Bibles, you'll see kind of like probably a little dash. I don't know if it's in your version, but a dash or a hyphen. And here's what happens. Paul goes on, uh, how do I have this word here? He goes on like a, I don't want to say a tangent or a rant, because this was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. But he has a thought interrupted. And verses 2 all the way through 13 is an interrupted thought. 
In his mind, when he started writing, he was going to go from verse 1 and then go to his thought in verse 14. But, but the Holy Spirit of God caused his pen to write verses 2 through 13. And Paul talks about a mystery. When you hear that word mystery, okay, this isn't some cryptic piece of information that only a certain few got to know and understand. And the reason I tell you that because that was very common. That was very common in other religions of the time. That only a certain elite got to understand uh, what was going on. The reality about this mystery that Paul is talking about is no one truly knew this mystery except for God himself. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And this, then through Jesus Christ, this mystery is made known. And the mystery is, is, is this idea, that the same thing he was telling us in chapter 2 and chapter 1, right? Like Jesus comes and he dies and he raises again and everyone now can get to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Do you see where Paul says that we are members of the same body? Members of the same body, he writes. And in Greek, that's one word. And here's the thing about that word. Paul just made it up. It was, it's never used in another place in Scripture. And it, it's not just in the Bible. It was never used in any other writings of that time. He just made this word up. The Holy Spirit caused him to make a word up that says, all of us who follow Jesus are members of one body. So the who. Who gets to take part of this mystery? Well, Paul and everyone else. See, Paul was an elite. He was a Jewish elite. But this gospel of Jesus was for him. And it was for everyone else. And listen, we talked about this, but i got to go here. Paul, who was Saul, was ravaging the church. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. And you can go back and read in Acts chapter 9. Paul meets Jesus. And Paul is told, hey, here's this mystery. You're going to carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. You're going to carry it to kings. You're going to carry it to the children of Israel. This mystery, this good news of Jesus Christ, it's for everyone. And Paul knew it was by grace that he got to take part of this mystery. Quite literally, it was by grace that Paul was saved. And that's why he could write what he wrote back in chapter 2, verse 8. Paul is constantly pointing us to grace by grace we've been saved verse 2 assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me verse 7 of this of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace we see it again in verse 8 to me though I'm the very least of the saints this grace was given to me The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is the good news of God's grace. So if you're coming to this church all the time, we must be reminded of this every week. Maybe you're visiting this church for the first time. You need to know that God loves you. And he, he proved this by sending himself. He sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life. To die a brutal death that all of us deserve to die. 
but Jesus took our place. And then he rose again and he offers all of us eternal life. He offers all of us life. We can pass from death to life and it is a gift. It is God's grace. And maybe there's someone in here who doesn't believe that today. You are here this morning by God's grace. He accepts you. This isn't something where it's like, well, I need to just get back in church. I need to make things right, and then I'll follow Jesus. That isn't how it works. He died for that. You just come to him as you are, as we all just sang. With open hands of nothing but your faith. And you receive the gift. And it's grace. It's by grace that we get to be in a relationship with Jesus and pass from death to life. But the grace doesn't just stop there. Paul says it was the grace that allowed him to bring the light of this mystery for everyone. It was by grace he got to preach. It is by grace that I get to stand up here today and just open God's word and share it with God's people. What a grace. And Paul says something here in this passage. He says, and, and I could not get away from this. Paul, the greatest missionary of all time, says, though I'm the very least of all the saints. What? See, Paul, Paul had a past. We talked about this, but I just got to hit this again. Paul had a past. And, and here, here, here's what I have to do, okay? Um, we have a lot of new people here. And maybe you're not a new person, but, but I don't want to go any further. We, we just, we had 892 people at this church last week. I don't, you guys probably don't know that. We don't announce our numbers. That's crazy town, okay? That's a lot of people. We have a lot of new people. And what I'm getting ready to tell you, I'm telling you because I love you and I want to be fair to you. I don't want you to feel duped. I don't want you to feel like, what the heck is going on? Had you guys, had any of you known me 20 years ago, I don't think most of you would even be at this church. Like, deep into sin. I don't have I won't take the time to go into it, but, 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 but it was a dark life that I was leading. I was far from God. I was not going to midweeks when I was in college, okay? This comes back and haunts me at times. And I have to fight to turn my eyes on Jesus and look at his glorious grace. I have friends right now in this church. They are friends. And I am telling you, I know them. They would not be my friends had they known me 20 years ago. I wouldn't have been my own friend. There, there's a chance you run into somebody. And you're like, hey, where are you going to church? Oh, I'm at Hill City. Who's the pastor of that church? Well, it's Brad Lotz. Who? Are you, is that, that can't be the same just know that could happen. Like, I'm not some squeaky clean guy that knew he was going to be a pastor when he was 16 and jumped into youth ministry. Okay, that, that's not me. And I don't, want you to think, I don't want you to think you're getting something that you're not getting. 
So when I see this and Paul's like, I'm the least of the saints, Paul says, I get to do this by the grace of God. It hits me so square in the center of my heart. But I owe that to you. So for some of you, maybe there's your off-ramp. Salvation was for Paul, and it was for me, and it was for everybody else. What a mystery. And here, here's the thing about the, 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 this mystery. No one knew it. Look at verse 10 and 11. Let's jump into this. So that through the church, underline that if you're writing your Bible, so that through the church, so that through the church, so that through the church, we're at church today, that God's, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that was realized, that was accomplished in Christ Jesus. That's, that's saying that this church, this thing that we're a part of right now, was always God's plan A. Right? So if you circle things, that word this, at the beginning of chapter 11, this, that's the church, was always God's plan. His secret plan from eternity past. And we have to know what we're a part of here today, Hill City. The church is the hope of the world. Don't miss it. The church is the hope of the world. This isn't some concept that's just to be pondered or considered. This is something that is to be participated in and experienced. How is it participated in and experienced? In a unified local church. Unified around the gospel. So when I hear things like, oh, I can go to church in my deer stand. Or I can go to church out on my boat on the lake. Now for those of you from Kansas City and St. Louis, that's a real thing, what I just told you. That's real. People say that kind of thing. No, you can't. I love you, but no, you can't. A unified local church coming together. One scholar said, he said it like this, this unity, this local church unity is only real when it's visible. And it's visible and it's experienced in a local congregation unified around Jesus Christ. Hello, Hill City. That's what's going on here. That's what we're participating in right now. And this church, Hill City's a little part of it, but this church that God has been building for 2,000 years, it's his masterpiece. He's the master builder, the master architect and through this church verse 10 says through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places we don't use this word like manifold unless we're taking a car apart right what's he saying this manifold wisdom quite literally this this brilliant multifaceted multicolored wisdom of God there's your literal translation. This brilliant, multifaceted, multicolored wisdom of God. That's why walls of hostility have to be brought down. 
He takes different stones of different shapes and sizes and colors and he builds a masterpiece with it. And it's crazy. Isaiah never knew this. Joel never knew this. John the Baptist didn't know this. Through this building, through this organic temple, the world gets to see the past, the present, and the future on display. Now let me say that again, because I don't want you to miss this. Through this building, the world, the world gets to see the past, present, and future on display. The visible world and the invisible world. Ooh. Stay with me. We're going to get creepy here today. This organic temple is being watched. The manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. We're talking about angels and demons now. Here's what happened. These temples of the old covenant, see, they were for the nations to see and take notice of God's glory. This new temple, this new organic building, yep, the nations are going to see it, but also there's some others that are going to be looking too. These rulers and authorities, angels and demons, we cannot be ignorant of a larger thing going on around us all the time. There's an invisible world. We cannot put our heads in the sand about this. This church that I'm talking to you about, this building, these stones, they will cause spiritual forces to take notice. There, there is an invisible world. It is very active. It has a major effect on the visible world, actually. You need to know this. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Hill City, the gates of hell will prevail against every other institution on earth. You can watch it happen before your eyes. Facebook started as some little innocent thing where people could connect. Didn't it? The gates of hell, the gates of hell have prevailed in Facebook. Can we get an amen? And all social media. The gates of hell have prevailed in our universities, period. The gates of hell have prevailed, even, I would say, in our government. Can I get an amen? The gates of hell have actually prevailed in the family. The family unit is shot. There's one institution that will not be defeated. The gates of hell will never prevail against her. It's the church. Side note, get your families in the church. Keep your families in the church. You all are here. Spurgeon says, Beloved, if it had been possible to destroy the church of God on earth, it would have been destroyed a long ago. Why am I telling you that? We win. Do you get this? When you pass from death to life, we win. And these nasty demons that I'm talking about, these fallen angels, they can't touch us. But you must know they're watching. They are watching. 
And, and, and listen, not just, not just the nasty ones, the good ones are watching too. The ones that serve us and that serve the Lord, they're watching. We are being watched. We live our lives bef- before a multitude of eyes. How many, Brad? I don't know. Millions, billions, I have no idea. I just know that we live our lives before multiple eyes. There was kind of a movement a while back, and I love the heart behind it, right, about an audience of one, right? I live my, And that's just like, I'm not going to fear man, I'm just going to live for God. But quite literally, there's a way bigger audience, and they're watching you all the time. That's what the Bible teaches us. There's a cosmic significance in each of our lives. Why? Because we are part of something massive. This is a big deal. We come here and we sing and we do liturgy. We come to the table and we receive communion. We break the bread, we dip it in a cup, we come here and we gather and we pray. And the good guys all around us in this invisible world, they're watching and they go, Yes! And the bad guys watch this and they go, no! It's real. Listen to me. When you come here and you serve a cup of coffee, when you check in a family at the kids' station, when you serve, you're being watched. I always talk about Jenny. A lot of people don't know Jenny. She's behind the scenes gal, you know what I mean? And, but we talk about Sundays being single mom Sundays, right? I get up early, I'm here, she's up getting four kids ready. And I know, I know a lot of our spouses of our staff have to do that. And I know even some of you who have a spouse serve that, that you stay back and you do this. Look at me, that is not going unnoticed. Thousands, millions of eyes are on you, and the bad guys watch you serve selflessly, and they go, no! They hate it! When you go home, and you host a group in your house, and you get out of that comfort zone, and you lead people, the bad guys go, When you pray Ephesians chapter 1 over your church family and you don't even tell anybody about it, you just do it faithfully in the quiet of your living room. Millions of, millions of eyes saw it. Millions of ears heard it. College students, when you get up on when Thursday night, you go to a midweek and you've got thousands of other options and you spend your life your college life living for the Lord, I wish I knew what that was like. But you need to know millions of ears and eyes watch that. There's something else. I told you I'd go back to verse 1 of chapter 3. Check this out. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He just said he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Who put him in jail? Rome, Caesar, and, and then he ends 
And verse 13, again, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. So we have this thought that he goes on, and it's bookended with this suffering that he's going through, right? He's in prison, and he talks about his suffering on the back end of it. And Paul says, no, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And all the bad guys go, no! How are you, do- how are you flipping this script like that? You're supposed to be whining and complaining and questioning God. I'm wondering why Jesus has you there. And Paul goes, nope, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of this beautiful masterpiece. Now, why did I bring that up? When you suffer well, eyes are on you. When that marriage is in trouble and you're like, He doesn't love me well. What is going on here? And you just keep serving and you keep praying for him and you think no one sees you? Millions of beings see you. When you have that miscarriage and you think, no one noticed this. Everyone's forgotten. Everybody's laughing. What? And you just pray to God and you say, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. Millions of beings are watching that. When you spend another Valentine's Day alone, but you just look to God and say, I trust you. I would love to be married, but I trust you. The bad guys in the invisible world see that and they take notice. You're being watched. And here's what I hope happens today. Once once you know what you're a part of, you will never be the same. Once you know what you're a part of, like, no one will have to beg you to come serve the church. I can think of nothing better to give your life to than to this magnificent masterpiece. I'm going to give my life to it. That doesn't mean you have to get your paycheck from a church. Just give your life to her. Serve her. This is the greatest institution that's ever existed And we win. What a magnificent thing that we are a part of. All fit together, stones fit together, living stones. We make up a magnificent holy temple. Let me end with this quote. Tim Keller says this, The more powerful the force that shapes you, the more fitted you are to everyone else who has been shaped by the same force. We see this with soldiers that go into battle and fight war together, right? That's a powerful thing to participate in, right? And these soldiers have just become knit together. They're brothers. As powerful of a force that war is, it's not the most powerful force that's ever existed on the planet. If you're serving communion, I want you to come forward. See, the most powerful force that's ever existed on the planet is Jesus Christ. And I already told you what he did. He came. He lived this life 
perfect life, sinless life. And he took our place. He died on a cross, but he put him in a grave, and he did not stay there. He rose again. What a powerful force that is. And those of us who pass from death to life, this is the powerful force that we participate in, which should knit us so closely together because it's the most powerful force. So we come to the table to celebrate this. Would you stand with me?